Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Thursday, December the 12th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're previewing Dolphins at Giants, another trip back to the Meadowlands. Could Miami take this one? Plus, the rumor of a legendary quarterback coming to Miami exists out there. We'll discuss that possibility, plus Spygate 2 and another big-time quarterback is now officially available. I'll tell you what building around Jordan Love could look like this offseason for the Dolphins. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can find me on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can find the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the written preview for Dolphins and Giants on Sunday. Let's go ahead and jump right in. I mean, we usually do injuries on this podcast before the intro when it comes to game week, but this year we just haven't done a whole lot of it because the games haven't had the same luster, and we'll talk more about that in the third segment, but we start here with a team not called the Miami Dolphins. It's not very often we start this podcast off with something not Dolphins related, but I think that this is definitely noteworthy, and wouldn't you know it, the Patriots got caught cheating again. What's the saying? Fool me once, shame on me. What is it for fool me 23 times? Because I feel like we've been here over and over again with this freaking team. I mean, seriously, how do we even comprehend this? This team just reaps what they sow. Maybe it's nothing, but to just instantly shrug this off as nothing is extremely negligent in my opinion. The Patriots sent a crew, for those that haven't heard the story yet, they sent a crew with credentials that were approved by the Cleveland Browns for the game between the Bengals to allegedly do a short hit on an advanced scout for a show they were filming called Do Your Job and document how his day works scouting the other team the Patriots are going to play the following week. Patriots play the Bengals this week, so makes sense. All checks out, right? But as I hope most of you learned from the account that might have just been Omar's burner on Twitter, you are not allowed any no matter what, any circumstances, any videotaping that is not approved by the league at practice, at training camp, and especially not in the press box at the game. Well, the Pats had this set up to make their video, but the tape that they produced showed eight consecutive minutes of Bengals sideline shots making substitutions, picking up their signals. It's just unbelievable to me, and really, it's not even the actual cheating that really, really bothers me. I mean, sure, it's not a good thing because because I think it's terrible for the degree of the game, but I just, I wish the Dolphins teams of the past had the acumen and the deceit to get to six Super Bowls by doing this cheating. That's okay, I guess, but it's the vehement shove of the proverbial pendulum back in the other direction from the team, from ownership, from the coaches, from the players, from Tom Brady, mostly from the fan base, but they shove that pendulum back in the other direction as if to say, how dare you accuse us of something so inflammatory? Just look at the fan base and the fan in particular 
that dealt with me on this, you bring this up to a Patriots fan on Twitter and they'll irrationally come sprinting out of the corner throwing haymakers at you. A Patriots fan on Twitter called me the dumbest man on the internet for suggesting that perhaps the only way to get Belichick to stop doing this is to not have him in the league. Is that crazy? It's not to me. They've proven that the 32nd pick in the draft and a financial slap on the wrist for the craft company is hardly a speed bump to this organization. Hasn't stopped them from winning six championships. So that's why I think there's only one solution to this if he did in fact do it again. One way you get them to stop. You eradicate them from the league since they've demonstrated that no matter how severe you think the penalty is, they just take it in stride and still win Lombardi's. The league's not going to do anything. I'm sure this is going to be dismissed. And even if they do dock him a draft pick in three years when they have two more rings, who really gives a damn? It's just so incredibly annoying and it's hard to transition off this topic so we'll stay in New England as there is this growing rumor out there that was generated from a Patriots beat writer stating that Tom Brady to Miami has a lot of steam behind it. Now first in the offseason they structured Tom Brady's contract to say sayonara to him at the end of the season. I think Brady might want the big time money and the Patriots just aren't going to pay a 43 year old Tom Brady 30 million dollars. Then he sells his house. His trainer Alex Guerrero sells his house and now he's step down as like the chancellor or the head of whatever certain type of Boston area charity that he shares with Julian Edelman the sign and the writing is on the wall that he's probably going to leave New England or Foxborough. And I mean, I guess it makes sense to come here with Brian Flores and Chad O'Shea and Jerry Shaplinsky, a chance to stick it to the Patriots and Belichick by wrestling away the division next season or maybe in 2021 if 44-year-old Tom wants to still play. The chance to prove that Brady was, in fact, the engineer of that dynasty, not Belichick. But I'm just not seeing it. To me, Brady looks slow this year. He looks a lot worse than he ever has. I personally thought that he's kind of fallen off in the end of seasons the last few years, except for those playoff runs, when they put together a fantastic game plan and make the Patriots just look fantastic by destroying whoever they face in that AFC wild or AFC divisional round and then eventually the AFC championship game. He's not elevating the play of the guys around him this year. He's not mitigating pressure. He's not getting the football out hot against blitzes. You can actually effectively blitz Tom Brady now. That's never been the case. To me, he looks like he's finally done and I'm not sure why the Dolphins would be motivated to do that. I'm not sure why Brady would be motivated to do that. I mean, do you want Tom Brady on this team? Even if it worked and he won a Super Bowl with Brady, would that be as satisfying? I mean, I'm sure we'd learn to love him. And a Super Bowl will certainly cure every single ailment this fan base has had. But I'm just not sure if that's the route that I want to go, even if he were still good. Hell, we spent 20 years hating this guy, hoping he would just go away. And now he might be ours. It's it's very conflicting to me. I'm not sure how I'd feel. I want to know how you guys would feel about it. If he came to Miami and if he wanted Miami, would it lose some of the luster there because it was Tom freaking Brady? All right, we're going to talk about a other Patriot I do want to sign in the third segment of this podcast. Plus, we'll preview the game on Sunday. But before any of that, if you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrapped to show us your Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and my Twitter account at Wingfield NFL, and we will share and retweet those tweets. If you do that, it's Spotify Wrapped. Tell us your favorite Locked On sports podcasts.
If you haven't seen it by now, I would highly recommend checking out the Nick Saban and Bill Belichick conversation, I suppose. I guess every year Belichick and Saban sit down and meet at his home, Nick Saban's home in Alabama, and have a conversation just about football and life. And the two lifelong friends kind of talk about the year that was in their profession. And somebody on Twitter, he's Dad Marino at 13 Lake Bochamp, asked me about how Saban and Belichick both basically said that they wish their former coaches that go off and get promotions all the best luck in the world, but they want to see them build their own programs and their own vision and to have enough respect to kind of stay away from taking those coaches off of their program. And they both agreed they don't want to see those coaches do that. But Brian Flores brought three of Bill Belichick's assistants to Miami and at 13 Lake Bochamp asked, is that something that's different or unique about Brian Flores? Like, why was he able to bring so many coaches? And I think the perfect way to put it is this response from Noah DuPont at Noah's a dork on Twitter. Here are the years that coaches coached under Bill with the Patriots. Charlie Weiss, four years. Romeo Cronell, four years. Josh McDaniel, seven years. Eric Mangini, eight years. Matt Patricia, 13. And Brian Flores, 14 years. And Flores is the only one that started his career with Belichick. And that might have something to do with it. I agree with that. And then also Bochamp mentions on Twitter that maybe it has something to do with the fact that Belichick could have a foot out the door. Maybe he has just more respect for Brian Flores. I tend to think all that stuff kind of comes into play there. Either way, the only thing I know about this is it's all beneficial for the Dolphins because this was a big reason why I was so adamant that Brian Flores was the right hire because you put together a good staff that says a lot about you and it's difficult to put together a good staff. Look at the ones that Joe Philbin brought to Miami or Adam Gaze brought to Miami. Those guys don't even have jobs across the league or I guess Zach Taylor does, but how's that working out for him? So Brian Flores put together a very solid staff here and a lot of those guys came off the Patriots staff, whereas before that was not all the case. Let's go ahead and talk about some football on Sunday. The Dolphins go to New York to face the Giants back-to-back weeks in that building. They are going to be three-point dogs in this game. It's a one o'clock Eastern kickoff. You all know that. Three and ten Dolphins, two and eleven New York Giants. Dolphins are dogs to a worse team in the record department. 35 degrees, partly cloudy there in East Rutherford. And we're going to have another week here of several new bodies working into the rotation by losing both Ken Webster and Ryan Lewis. This just one week after losing Ken Crawley and Xavier Crawford. Guys continue to drop like flies. This should be the week that Miami surpasses that 78 players with a snap on offense or defense this year, which would break the NFL record all time. But still, the Dolphins with that roster go up to New York as only three-point dogs on the road. That basically means that Vegas thinks these teams are even. And I tend to disagree, and we'll talk about why here as we go along. Which team actually wants to win this game? I don't know if the Giants players and coaches Coaches have the same motivation as Brian Flores does. We know Pat Shermer most likely not going to be back next year. We heard Patricia Trena of Lockdown Giants mention that on the podcast yesterday. I've got a very good buddy, the guy that actually married my wife and I in Hawaii. Big time Giants fan. He is all in on Chase Young. So that thought exists out there. And a victory on Sunday would most likely probably move Miami back below Detroit and Arizona as they are both going to be dogs this weekend in their games. But how does Miami match up in this game? Mike Shula is the Giants offensive coordinator there with Pat Shermer and this scheme is as 11 personnel heavy as it gets even without Evan Ingram the ultimate 11 personnel tight end they only use 11 that's 81% of the time and 12 personnel roughly 15% of the time they'll sprinkle in the rest of that stuff less than 1% each but they use this package 
11 personnel, third most in the NFL, and they have minimal success because they just have not adhered to modern day football where you run out of 11 personnel and you pass out of 12 personnel. Their passing game in 11 personnel has success on just 41% of the plays, 12 interceptions, 31 sacks, and 6.6 yards per pass. And in 12 personnel, it's not a lot better. They only pass for 5.7 yards per attempt, probably because they're being too predictable throwing when it's obvious that you got to throw the football. The offense ranks 26th in total, 22nd in passing, 26th in rushing, and 25th in scoring. So basically right along that bottom third tier of the National Football League. On the other side of the ball, as far as the scheme goes, James Betcher wants to send pressure at the quarterback. They blitz about 29% of the time. That's only 16th most in the NFL. He did it a lot more in Arizona when he had better personnel, and I think he'll do it on Sunday and try to get pressure on Ryan Fitzpatrick all game long in this one. Their base defense is a 3-4 look. But elements of that defense are always sparingly used because of the nature of modern day football. They want to find a way to get pressure in one-on-one situations on the outside for guys like Marcus Golden, O'Shane Eximenez, and Lorenzo Carter, and then find also one-on-one matchups inside for Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams. And as the Giants do blitz right around the middle of the pack at 16th most blitz in the NFL, they're also middle of the pack in hurry rate, knockdown rate, and pressure rate. They've got 94 missed tackles. That's 13th most in the NFL. Defensively, they rank 27th in total, 26th in passing, 20th in rushing, and 28th in scoring defense. Now, as far as the players go... It looks like Eli Manning's going to play in this game. His last hurrah, his last rodeo. Will he play out the entire string? Who knows? But I just think the weather in that building and the fact that Eli Manning is Eli Manning is a good thing for the Dolphins if you want to win this game. That dude had, I guess, a couple of nice touchdown passes in the Eagles games. But by the second half of that game, he looked positively cooked and he can't move. He can't get off his spot. He can't drive the football. To me, regardless of who's out there, Brian Flores and his defensive staff need to hit him, turn him over, and dominate this Giants offense because with Eli Manning at the helm, they've got nothing. They've got absolutely nothing. And even though they re- they funneled a bunch of resources into the offensive line with Nate Solder playing basically below league average for a massive, massive left tackle contract or a second round draft pick in Will Hernandez, they still don't pass protect all that well. They don't create a lot of space in the running game. And Saquon Barkley just looks different this year with that bum ankle. I think it's going to be be a big test this weekend for how they defend the edge with Taco Charlton, Vince Beagle, Andrew Van Ginkle, Charles Harris, and the rest of those guys holding Saquon Barkley down will definitely put the Dolphins defense in great position to change this game with sacks and takeaways. Now on the Giants side of the ball, Marcus Golden stands to really wreck this game. He'll come off the offense's left side over Julian Davenport, and they're going to have to find a way to slide and help him or help Davenport get Golden blocked with both chips and double teams. If they can't get him blocked, Fitzpatrick's going to have a long day and the Dolphins will have a long day as a result. Can Daniel Kilgore handle Leonard Williams? No, we've seen that before in the past. Can he handle Dexter Lawrence? Probably not. He's even better than Leonard Williams. But where they can go after this Giants defense is Alec Ogletree, who they're going to use in coverage regardless. They're just, they're going to do it no matter how bad it gets. It's just like Vance Joseph and Matt Burke using Kiko Alonso over and over again downfield in coverage. So look for Miami to come out in both 12 and 11 personnel and go empty, spread everybody out, find Alec Ogletree in coverage, and just go to work on him, whether it's Patrick Laird, Mike Gasicki, or if it's a receiver, which will happen too on that quick inside hitter 
Baker to Alan Hearns. The Giants secondary is full of inexperience. DeAndre Baker having a brutal year this year. Put the rabbit hat on him if he gets Devontae Parker. If Devontae goes, that'll be a great matchup for Miami. And Janoris Jenkins, has he's way past his prime at this point. You can go after him as well. This is a slow defense, and I'd be surprised, again, regardless of the bodies that Miami has available, I'd be surprised if Chad O'Shea can't have his way with this Giants defense in the passing game. And that's really where the opportunity comes from for Miami here. Just go after them in the matchups in the passing game and attack relentlessly on the other side of the ball. If it's Eli, send pressure, overwhelm him, and just get after the quarterback and find a way to take the football away that way. If it happens to be Daniel Jones, I would just drop seven or eight in coverage and force him to try to beat you with his arm because he's not good enough to do that. I think the Dolphins should do very well for themselves in this game. And if they don't, it'll be because of these concerns. Darius Slayton has that good speed in the secondary. So does Golden Tate. So does Sterling Shepard. If those guys get turned loose in this Dolphins secondary, I should say, then there could be a big day for the Giants offense, which we just cannot see. Again, regardless of who the Dolphins have out there, I do not want to see them get out-coached and out-schemed by this Giants coaching staff. On the other side, going to have to find a way to protect on the offensive line for Marcus Golden, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Leo Williams. To me, the projected outcome for this game, it doesn't matter if it's Daniel Jones or Eli Manning. I think both are going to give the Dolphins defense opportunities to take the football away and neither presents much fear to a unit that is full of undrafted free agents and largely unknowns. Manning doesn't have the physical traits to scare anybody, and Jones is on track to turn the football over the most times per game at the position of all time. And if Jones does play, he'll be on that tender ankle and that robs the one trait he has over Eli, his mobility. The Dolphins beat the Jets in November in convincing fashion. Every other game since then, post bye week, has been a tightly contested game, been within one score in the fourth quarter, with the exception of the Cleveland game on the road and Buffalo at home. But most of these games have been white knuckle affairs. I think this one has the makeup of a blowout but in favor of your Miami Dolphins, a bitter, angry team off that loss responds to Brian Flores' message and puts a beating on the Giants. Dolphins 27, Giants 13. That's my final score. That's the first time this season I've picked Miami to win a game. So I am 10-3. and If they win on Sunday, I move to 11-3 and with that prediction. Dolphins 27, Giants 13. Big, big win for the Finns on the road in the Meadowlands. We're going to come back on the other side and talk about Jordan Love and how to build a football team around him. But first, the original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL and using promo code locked NFL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. I had a joke written down in that first segment that I somehow glossed over reading my show notes, but I was so proud of myself for writing it, and now I'm ashamed of myself for not getting it out and not having continuity that way here on the podcast, on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and it was referring to the Patriots and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and it reminds me a lot of Barry Bonds, because I'm not going to sit here and say that Bill Belichick's entire his entire empire and all the stuff they've built up there in New England, I, I think it's naive to think 
that the only reason they've been that good is because of the cheating. I think he's the greatest head coach of all time. I think Tom Brady's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. To me, he's not the best. He's one of the best, but I don't think he's the very best. But I think they compare so much to Barry Bonds, who was an all-star MVP caliber player in baseball. Then he juiced up, got the mega head and the home runs that came along with that. That's just what Belichick and Brady are. They're Barry Bonds in the post-steroid era, taking advantage of their skill set and giving themselves a little extra boost to make them even greater than they already were. So that was my whole idea. Put that back in segment one. And now let's jump forward into segment number three and our final topic here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And we heard on Tuesday night that Jordan Love, despite rumors that he might go to Oklahoma or Texas Tech or maybe even LSU, basically could pick whichever college he wanted to go to as a graduate transfer. But then Jordan Love came out and basically said, no, that's a bunch of BS. I never said that. And then he very definitively backed that point up by declaring for the NFL draft. And I went back and watched some more Jordan Love, my own videos that I made of Jordan Love. And this guy, every single time I watch him, it's like I fall back in love all over again because of those rare, super rare physical traits. And when he did declare, I reshared my thread against Wyoming, the game that Utah State played against Wyoming, where he starts off with two bad interceptions, and then he comes back and just makes throw after throw, elusive escapability out of the pocket with a throw on the run, throwing off of his left foot, falling away from the pass with a flick of the wrist, 50 yards downfield, right on target. It's just so unique to watch this guy play the position and those talents and those traits are why a guy who has a negative touchdown to interception ratio, 16 touchdowns, 17 picks, last year was 32 touchdowns, just six picks. It's why a guy with that kind of stat line can declare and probably garner first round buzz. In fact, I think the only reason he probably came out was because they told him, look, dude, you're still going to go in the first round. There is such a supply or such a lack of supply and such a demand for quarterbacks in the NFL every single year that a guy like Jordan Love can get drafted, sit on the bench and really marinate those skills and get himself better between the ears and try to come back in 2021 and be an actual force in the league in the way that Patrick Mahomes was because you watch this guy. I've literally never seen any do what he can do with his arm, not just in the strength and the pure zip and velocity, but how he can fling that thing from any platform, from any stance, falling in any direction, the natural ability to whip the ball out there like a shortstop, and what he can do in the RPO and zone read game, because this guy's an athlete that can both run for speed and can run guys over and drop the shoulder and pick up the tough yardage and short yard situations. You can po- combine all that stuff together. I think you might have a RPO quarterback quarterback that could revolutionize things, not in the same way that Lamar Jackson has. And I only mean that because of stylistically, because I do think that Jordan Love could revolutionize the game in that way because he gets the ball out in so many different ways. He can be flat-footed, toes pointed towards his target and get that arm up there and get the football out. It's just so unique and so rare. And I think you can really build a package and an offense that the NFL has never seen before if you get him right between the ears. He gives you that added body in the running game down around the red zone. You can do quarterback draw, more zone read. You can get him out on space. 
on bootlegs and have him run for the pylon, but also give him pass options built in. I think this guy's going to be a nightmare to defend if you ever get him making better decisions at the next level. And of course, I want to give the caveat that sometimes guys just are who they are. Like for instance, with Jameis Winston, I happen to love Jameis Winston when he came out because I thought he was one of the smarter quarterbacks. He just got plagued by those bad decisions every single year. And here we are five years in and Jameis Winston has the gaudy stats and the big touchdown numbers and the short memory but he also has the exact same issue with the turnovers and poor decisions. So sometimes a guy is who he is. It's up to the coaching staff to figure out if they can make it work with that guy. And maybe this guy does make sense to be the one that gets drafted in behind Tom Brady if that were the plan. And then you can build the team accordingly. If Tua Tungavailoa does not come out, I would trade down off that first pick. I would then draft Isaiah Simmons and build my entire defense around that guy. I think that's a fantastic idea to just drop back three, four, five, six spots, find a way to get the Clemson linebacker slash safety. I'm calling him a defensive player because you can play him anywhere, but just move back, acquire additional capital next season that can be used to move up in the event that you want Trevor Lawrence or that you want Justin Fields. If Jordan Love is then there with your second first round pick, just take him because You've got so many picks and afforded yourself so much flexibility with all these picks that drafting a quarterback this year does not prevent you from taking another one next year, and it doesn't even prevent you from trading all those pieces to go up and get the guy you covet. So maybe this year you trade back, pick up a third 2021 first round pick, still got three in 2020, you take Isaiah Simmons, you then take Jordan Love from Utah State. There's your defensive star right in the middle of the field that you can build around. There's your quarterback that hopefully you can build around. Then you come back at the end of the first round, take USC offensive tackle Austin Jackson, who we are going to get more into later as we go on on the podcast in the coming weeks. He is a huge, huge athlete, more of a projection to the next level, but the kind of guy that might go at the back end of the first round from USC, your left tackle. Then you come back with J.K. Dobbins and Shane Lemieux or Trey Smith and build out that offensive line, build up that running game, build up that defense, and then in 2021, you've got Jordan Love ready to be unleashed on the NFL. The truth is, is that the options are just endless when it comes to this Miami Dolphins offseason. Are they going to buy big? Are they going to trade back? Are they going to go after the quarterback? So many questions to be answered still. And we talked about Tom Brady in the first segment. Well, there is one Patriot out there that I would absolutely be all over signing. And he is Kyle Van Noy because we search across the draft, across free agency. I've talked about Kyler Fackrell, but he doesn't have the inside versatility and the inside rush or just the flat out good pass rush that Kyle Van Noy offers. If that guy gets out of New England, I think he is priority numero uno this offseason in free agency to go get him. He could really expand Brian Flores' defense and give you exactly what you want there. I'm not sure why that got into the show, but it did. Kyle Van Noy, top priority. Other notes, Jordan Love will be at the Senior Bowl. He's got the waiver to be there even as a junior because he did graduate. So good for him for doing that. That means we're going to have Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Jordan Love and Anthony Gordon go Cougs at the Senior Bowl. Also heading to Mobile, Christian Fulton could be cornerback one. To me, he's cornerback two behind Jeff Okuda. He's going to be down there. Probably the best physical man cover corner in this draft. That's what Miami plays. This Senior Bowl is just the absolute most loaded roster it's ever been since I've been doing this. And next week and further on the podcast, We're really going to dive into those prospects that will be in Mobile over the next few weeks here on the podcast. I'm also going to have the exit interview series again 
taking a look at this roster position by position and going player by player and telling you how they grade it out, where they project for the future, all that fun stuff. And just to be perfectly honest, I kind of can't wait for a little bit of a change in the routine with the podcast. This season has officially worn me down in week 15. It took 15 weeks of this to get me here, but I'm officially worn down. I'll admit that. We'll have the mailbag podcast for you guys tomorrow. As for today's show... That is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.